So our lesson is from Philippians chapter 1, reading from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guards and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, But what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that will be destroyed, but but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Thanks be to God. It is true, I think, that how we respond to the hardships and the frustrations of life reveals something about us, reveals much about us, I think. Do I tend to get short tempered when I'm frustrated. Yeah, I think I probably do. 
do I respond in kind when I feel slighted? Am I prone to self-pity when things don't go my way? And the Bible tells me that the way that I respond to my circumstances is a little window into my heart. It, it reveals something of myself to me, if I look. It reveals something of what matters to me in that moment. Uh, it reveals something of what I'm living for, who I'm living for. It reveals something about my hopes in that particular situation or more broadly. It reveals something about my desires. Paul's situation, uh, did you notice as we had it read to us by Ian, Paul's situation as he writes to this church that he loves in Philippi, this church he founded many years uh, previously, first church in Europe. Uh, Paul's situation is, humanly speaking, a pretty desperate one, isn't it? You know, he's in prison. Did you notice? Under house arrest, he's in chains. Uh, So physically, it's a pretty difficult situation. He's bound. But it's also emotionally, psychologically, he's in quite a difficult situation. Did you notice he's being slandered by um, sort of envious preachers? His, his name, his reputation is being dragged through the mud as he's stuck in prison. I mean, that's going to be a pretty uh, emotional, psychologically difficult thing to handle, to be stuck in prison and to know that while you're stuck there, your reputation is being shredded by envious ministers. And we know that his life is endangered. We know at, at this stage his life hangs in the balance. He'll soon appear in court and find out his earthly fate. He's in prison, he's being slandered, he's endangered. Those are his circumstances as he writes this letter to the Philippians. And I ask myself the question, how would I respond if I was facing any of those circumstances, let alone all three of them? What what would be my response? Certain things come to mind. Maybe I'd be angry at God. Uh, You know, why am I facing this hardship? Particularly, why am I facing this hardship after all the things that I've done? All the ministry I've had, all the people I've led to Christ, if I was, you know, I'm speaking as the Apostle Paul. uh, You know, why am I here, bound? Why am I suffering this sort of hardship? Why am I, maybe frustration, why am I, you know, you called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You called me to be a great evangelist. Take the gospel, you know, all around Asia and Europe, and here I am bound in chains. That can't be right. How, you know, frustration. Maybe fear, maybe anxiety, I don't know. But it's striking, isn't it? How does Paul respond to this set of circumstances that he finds himself in? It's that word, it runs all the way through the passage. Do you remember? Does he rail at his circumstances? No, he doesn't. He rejoices. He rejoices. And the question as I was reading this and thinking about it is how on earth does he do that? I mean, how does he, res- how does he respond that way to this set of circumstances? Is he just stoic? You know, does he, is he a man without feelings? A hard-hearted man and the slings and arrows of life just sort of bounce off him? No, I don't think that's the case. Is he, is, he, is he sadistic, you know, just slightly unhinged? And so these things don't, you know, throw him. Well, no, I don't think that's the case. I think as you read the letter, 
what we discover is he's able to respond that way because he is living for someone. He is living for something that is bigger than himself. He's living for someone. He's living for something that is bigger than his personal circumstances. Someone, something that actually gives him a, a new meaning, new potential, new possibilities in any circumstance of life that he finds himself in. He sums it up in verse 21, perhaps the most famous words in the letter. He says this, for me, says Paul, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. That's his purpose statement in life. That's who he is. You see, when Paul encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, it was an encounter that turned his life upside down and inside out. And that is because Jesus didn't just invite Paul to believe in him in some abstract way. He didn't just meet Paul on the road to Damascus and say, hey Paul, do you know what? Actually, it turns out I am God. Oh, right, thanks Jesus, I'll I'll bear that in mind. It's not some kind of academic encounter to change his sort of theology. What Jesus did on the road to Damascus is he called Paul to join him in his mission to build his kingdom, God's kingdom on earth. In other words, Paul was invited into a bigger story than his own. The story of Jesus and his kingdom. And that involvement, that part in God's story, transformed not only the direction of Paul's life, but it also changed and transformed his responses to the circumstances of life. It freed him to respond in countercultural ways. It freed him to respond in kingdom ways. It gave him the power and the freedom to live joyfully, whatever his circumstances, because he was no longer living for himself, but for Christ. And, and this is the key bit, he was confident that Christ could use even the difficult circumstances of his life to grow his kingdom in Paul and through Paul. And that was the road from potential despair in difficult circumstances to this deep sense of joy that he could have, even in difficult circumstances. Know that truth and you know joy. See, how can Paul rejoice while he's in chains? And the answer is because he's not living for his comfort. He's not living for his freedom, he's living for Christ. That's the point of verse 12, isn't it? Have a look. Now, I want you to know, brothers, sisters, that what has happened to me, and he's talking about his arrest, what has happened to me has really, what? Served to advance the gospel. There's the bigger story. There's Paul's heart. His chains, he sees now, he's not just looking at himself in his chains. He's looking at the bigger story. And he sees that he now has the opportunity, because of where he is, to speak the gospel to his captors, who are the Praetorian Guard, and indeed to strengthen the church, who are being encouraged by Paul's witness in prison. And so he rejoices. How can he rejoice as his name is being dragged through the mud? Answer, because he's not living for his reputation. He's living for Christ's. And so, as he says, some are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Verse 18. But what does it matter? 
Well, it would matter a lot if he was living for his reputation, wouldn't it? But he's not. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. How can Paul rejoice as his life hangs in the balance? Answer, because he's not living for longevity. He's living for Christ. And by God's grace, he knows that he'll be given courage to exalt Christ, even if it means his death. That's verse 20 and 21, isn't it? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. You see, time and time, it's the same response, isn't it? Paul is living for something bigger than his personal circumstances, bigger than the narrow confines of what our culture defines as success. He's living for Christ and his kingdom, and he sees new possibilities because of that story. If he was living for his comfort, his life would be a failure. If he was living for his reputation, his life would be a failure. If he was living for longevity, his life would be a failure. But he's not living for any of those things. He's living for Christ. And therefore, you see, it's wonderfully freeing. It means that now his circumstances do not have the power to dictate to him how he should be feeling in this moment. They don't have the power to dictate his response to them. As I read these verses, it, it struck me that there's a great challenge here, but also a great encouragement. Because we here this morning who are following the Lord Jesus Christ have also been called by him to join his mission in building his kingdom. That's what it means to be saints. We looked at that word last week, if you remember. Saints means to be set apart, set apart by Christ, to play a part in his story. And that is encouraging. The encouragement is that as we do that, we'll find, like Paul, that we can respond in the difficult circumstances of life in ways we never thought possible. We can find a hope and a purpose and a meaning in circumstances that our culture would simply write off as hopeless. As we become confident, like Paul, that Christ can use any and every circumstance to grow his kingdom in us and through us. And that is the road from despair into profound joy. I don't want to be glib here. Life can indeed be very dark, and in tragedy, the Bible tells us many, many times, there will be times when we don't see this, and when we can't see it through the tears. And those are times when, with others in the Christian community, we must be encouraged simply to hold on to the truth that nothing in this world has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love and his purposes. It is a purpose that at that moment we may not see. But it is a purpose by the grace of God we will see in retrospect, either in this life or the life to come. Nothing can thwart his purposes for us. But we'll only know that freedom insofar as we submit our lives to Christ, insofar as we are living for him and 
his bigger story. And that's the challenge of these verses. It's the paradox of the Christian life, isn't it? That to get life, you must give your own life. To experience freedom and joy, you have to give over your life to Jesus and his agenda. And so I ask myself as I read these verses, if I was honest, if I had to sum myself up, how would I do it? As I answer the question, you know, what, what matters to me? What am I living for? What do I dream about? What do I talk about? What do I plan for? What makes me feel secure? What constitutes success for me? What does my life revolve around? How do I respond to hardship? What has my heart? If a friend was looking on at my life and they were asked the question, you know, Paul, how would you complete the sentence for Paul to live is what? It's a good question, isn't it? That, that's the question the passage asks of us, isn't it? If a friend was to, to sum up your life, you know, for so-and-so, to live is what? What would your friend say of you? As we, like Paul, seek by God's grace to live for Christ, we'll find this, I think. We'll find first that we can serve him wherever we are. We'll be free to serve him wherever we are. Many of us in house groups have been looking at a a course called uh, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, thinking about where our front line is, wherever we tend to spend time in our week, wherever it is we tend to meet people regularly. It's, It's very interesting, isn't it? Where's Paul's front line as he writes this? Paul's front line is in prison. And he's still ministering in prison. It's tempting, isn't it, to think, yeah, I want to serve Christ. Now's not a good time. Now's not a good moment because of X, Y, or Z. You know, when I've sorted out X, when I've sorted out Y, when this has happened, I'll be much freer to serve Christ in whatever way that might be. I think this makes us think again, doesn't it? I think it makes us realize that no matter what our front line is, there are opportunities for the kingdom to grow in us and through us. And that's Mark Green's course has been excellent on helping us think about what that might look like in whatever our front line might be. It's very interesting. I think God is much more interested in today than he is in tomorrow, if you know what I mean. So often we think... Oh, yeah, I wonder what God wants me to do in the future. You know, I've got this whole life stretching out in front of me. What does God, does God want me to do this or this or this? And sometimes those kind of questions can paralyze us. And sometimes it's good just to say, well, you know what? My front line today looks like this. This is what's in front of me today. This is what God would have of me today. This is what it looks like to be a Christian, to be salt and light, or whatever it might be, to use my gifts that I have today in this situation. And tomorrow will take care of itself. It's very freeing. We'll serve God wherever we are, and we'll do that as we see kingdom opportunities wherever we are. Here's the key, isn't it? That God can redeem even the difficult moments of life. Not necessarily by changing them, but by opening our eyes to the kingdom possibilities in them. You know, Paul is in prison here. He doesn't, in this instance, open the doors of the prison to Paul, if you like. What he does is he opens up Paul's eyes to the opportunities that he has while he's in chains. Uh, To the positives of the envious preachers. He doesn't stop the envious preachers. He doesn't make them go away. 
But what he does for Paul is he opens his eyes to the, to the positives of these envious preachers. Christ is being preached. And I think that'll be true for us. I think as we, as we pray by God's grace in difficult circumstances, he may change them, he may not. But what he will do, I think, is open our eyes to the kingdom potential, the kingdom possibilities in this situation. Friends, I know for myself that I struggle with melancholy, sadness, when my world shrinks to the size of me, when my horizons become just, just, just in front of my eyes, when me is all I can see. That is when uh, the sadnesses of my life, the mistakes that I've made, the opportunities I've missed become intolerably painful. When my story becomes simply me-sized. What helps in those situations is when I'm able to look and see how God has incorporated my experience of disappointment into his story for my life. When I'm able to put myself back into the bigger story and see how God has used those periods of disappointment to advance his kingdom in me and through me. And so again, I think the passage calls us to be honest with ourselves, to say, look, what is my situation at the moment? What am I facing? What hardship am I facing? Is there a struggle now with my health or with my family or at work? Is there a criticism I'm dealing with? Am I being sinned against? What temptations are particularly live for me? Is there something in the near future or the distant future that is causing me to be anxious? We need to be honest. We need to to face them if we're to know where God's grace is needed. But then we can be hopeful. And it's a hope that flows from trusting that in some way God can and will advance his story in us and through us, through these circumstances. God, we pray, will open our eyes to the kingdom opportunities that are in them. As Andrew said, today is uh, Vision Sunday. And as you know, uh, our overall vision for us as a church is to grow God's family. That's what we want to be about, to grow God's family in depth, spiritually and numerically as we reach out. Our vision is to bring the people of North Oxford and beyond into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and one another. And one of the ways to think about that vision, it seems to me, is to think of it as our particular expression at St. Andrews of the story that God has called us to. That's, that's the story we've been called into to bring the people of North Oxford and beyond into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and one another. That's what we've committed to, to reach out into our community and beyond, to raise up the next generation of disciples, to release our gifts to serve joyfully, to be resourced in whole life discipleship, to, to create relationships that promote spiritual, physical well-being. That's the story. And we all have a part to play. We were looking at this last week as partners in the gospel. And that means, doesn't it, as we think about our vision as we go forward, as we work on our vision, as we produce the strategy document or whatever it might be, the way we think about it is like this. Our vision as a church family is more than just a set of objectives to tick off. We commit ourselves to this objective, this objective, this objective. It's more than that. It's an expression of God's story that we are called to be a part of. And so our vision is not so much about things that we do, it's about the people we want to become. 
as we throw ourselves into this story. Not just what we do, but what it is we want to become as people, as a church community, as we engage in this expression of God's story. It's something about who we are. It's something about the people we are called to be. And so the question I leave us with this morning is this. As we think about the vision, as we produce it and it comes before us as a church family, the question we need to be asking ourselves is this. Which part of this particular expression of God's story am I going to commit myself to? Which part of this story am I going to build in and make my story with the gifts that God has given me? What part of this story am I going to commit myself to? Knowing that as we do that, we will be given a new perspective, a new hope in all circumstances of life. For me, says Paul, to live is Christ. May God make that true for each and every one of us. Amen.